I, I sincerely believe luck is part of every business. You can have be have good luck or bad luck, but I think the luck is what you make it. You, I think everyone has the ability to have luck, but you can influence it by becoming more lucky, by meeting more people, by being in more places. Um, but you also have to recognise when that luck comes and stares you in the face. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Business Mastermind Podcast, Gavin Preston here, and I'm excited to be sharing with you a fantastic interview that I did with David Crisp. David is the owner of Bodicea the Victorious. This is one of the uh, fourth largest privately owned perfume brands in the world. Fascinating story where David, having never bought a bottle of perfume ever in his life before, even as a gift, buys a business, Bodicea the Victorious, out of administration and shares with his 10-year journey to make it, as I say, in the top four perfume brands, privately owned perfume brands in the world, with a strong market share in the Middle East, in territories such as Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, etc., but also a well-selling, strong-selling brand in Harrods in London and Selfridges all over the UK, and in territories such as countries such as China, Russia, Italy, and the US. So fantastic story of a learning curve of a man who didn't know anything about perfume, how he's grown and scaled the business to a point that now 10 years in, I think he's on the cusp of achieving something really quite special in terms of scale and and, uh, growth in the brand and certainly growth in the bottom line. Straight into the interview right now with David Crisp of Bodicea, The Victorious. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Business Mastermind podcast. Today, I'm delighted to uh, have the pleasure of the company of David Crisp. He's the uh, owner, the CEO of Bodicea the Victorious, a international perfume brand. David, welcome. Good morning, Gavin. It's a pleasure to see you once again. Thank you very much. And so I'm always fascinated by people's stories, their backgrounds, how they've got to where uh, where they've been, where they've got to. So please share with me a little bit about your journey up until the purchase of uh, Bodicea and then what you've been doing uh, since then. Um, Gavin, uh, it may surprise you to know that I actually qualified as an accountant many, many, many years ago. Um, I qualified in industry. I found uh, the practice side of things far too boring and far too historic. Um, and I spent uh, nearly nine years in business-to-business publishing. Um, right. as, a, as a management accountant, they then called it an operations accountant. I worked at a divisional level. Um, I think I produced something like 109 sets of management accounts for the monthly management accounts. Gosh, no one um, you found it boring. Uh, well, the accounting was okay. Um, I had some uh, great publications, ones you all know, like Yachting World, Motivation Yachting. Oh, did you um, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, airline Business, Flight International, Commercial Motor, amongst others. Um, so I found the publishing very interesting. Um, but I then decided to move on and moved into um, what was uh, glamorously known as corporate communications. Right. Um, it was actually an, a, an audiovisual hire business. Um, it had been acquired by a public company. Um, they had acquired it and paid £7 million for it and not, not noticed that it owed £5 million on leased equipment. Right. Um, and having bought it, most of the equipment disappeared. Uh, I turned up as part of new management. I was... Um, 
uh, chief accountant for six weeks. Um, I then became financial controller. And after six months, they sacked the finance director and made me finance director. Wow. Um, so a meteoric rise to fame. Um, intensely enjoyed that, but the parent company clearly didn't know how to run things. And um, despite selling a very large plot of land in Canary Wharf for 25 million quid, managed to go bust. That's an achievement. Uh, exceptional achievement, I think. Yeah. Um, I had all sorts of weird and wonderful things to sort out there where perhaps uh, there was a broadcast TV camera purchased for a mere £75,000, sold and leased back five times. <laughs> so um, there was a lot of... I, I loved sorting out the mess, to be yeah. honest. Um, I then, when, when all that failed, I, I um, uh, joined a group in Scotland. Um, I flew up to Scotland every week for two and a half years. Um, again... Um, restructured their business, recovered their, their accounting, moved it back into the, into the UK because it seemed to cost a lot of money to move product up to Scotland to send back to your customers in England. Right. And then after that, I did a, a number of, a series of temporary jobs, again, recovering uh, reporting systems, act, acting as kind of commercial directors, finance directors, that type of level, um, until 96 when I was asked to join um, a national IFA. Okay. I, was, I was the 10th employee in. Right. I joined as finance director. In 98, we floated on a, the AIM market in London, uh, and I was group FD. And I left in 2000 when we had 2,000 employees in the group, and I think we had a market cap from memory about 250 million. Fantastic. Um, but I found a director's role in a regulated industry on a regulated stock market um, far too uninteresting for me. So is this where the kind of the entrepreneurial spark was sort of uh, I think really planning the, I, th the time? I really think that was the catalyst for it. So yeah. from 2000 to 2009, I acted as a freelance uh, business turnaround consultant. Okay. Uh, I had one client I worked with one day a week for nine years um, and took them through all sorts of hell and back and got them to be very, very profitable. I think they were making three million a year when I left. Fantastic. Um, I had clients who I might with, work with for a month. Or I yeah. might with, work with a few days for over a month. I reckon I could look after seven or eight, nine clients at any one time across many industries. And in 2009, um, decided that earning uh, a reasonable in income as a consultant was good, but it wasn't creating capital. Right. So I, the second half of 2009, I'm with my then business partner, who was a corporate lawyer, decided to try and find a turnaround that we could invest in. Great. I.e. we were going to do the work for ourselves. And in the second half of 2009, we did something like 70 presentations to anyone who'd listen, mainly bankers, lawyers, or accountants. And the very, very last one we ever did was to a firm of lawyers who happened to be the lawyers to the administrators of what they described as an international perfume company. Right. We had no idea what international meant or perfume meant, um, but we looked at it. I saw it in Harrods. I went into their warehouse on Christmas Eve. Um, I actually quite liked the bottle. I absolutely detested all the fragrances, 
And so let's me, get this right. At this stage, you know nothing about perfume. I had never, ever bought a bottle of perfume in my life, even as a gift for anyone I ever knew. Oh, thank goodness, right. So what grabbed your attention was the fact that it, it was in Harrods? And the fact that uh, it was in Harrods and Selfridges, it had yeah. gone bust. It was trading in administration and had been an admin for two, two and a half months. And I knew that Harrods and Selfridges were still buying the product. Okay. That gave me a clue that if they sure. liked it, then and someone else's customers. customers might yeah. like it. Um, and the international bit, well, there was no international sales. It was just in Harrods and Selfridges. So I thought, if I can then take it international, it must be worth something. And with names like Harrods and Selfridges, that's going to help open doors. Uh, it did open doors. In fact, Harrods is my marketing department. Fantastic. Wherever in the world I am, I say we are a top brand in Harrods. The doors open. Fantastic. So... Headlines around, so we'll fast forward to this stage that you go, you see the bottles in, in Harrods, you like the design of the bottles, you detest the smell of the fragrances. <laughs> so what happens next? Um, we negotiated to buy the business. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, I was still acting as consultant for a number of businesses at the time. So I was kind of negotiating with my left hand with the administrators to buy it. And my right hand, I was trying to raise the money to buy it with. Um, and during the process, uh, I can't, I can't, at one stage, the lawyers, their lawyers got a bit um, strong with me. So I threw my teddy out into the corner and told my lawyer to tell them I didn't want to do the deal. Right. And spent five hours working on something with some health clubs or something. And later in the afternoon, I thought, no, I actually do like this, this, uh, this perfume business. Called my lawyer up and said, when I called you this morning and said I didn't want to do it, I really meant to say, can we complete it quickly? <laughs> and we got the show back on the road. And on the 3rd of Feb, 2010, um, about six o'clock in the evening, I got a phone call saying we could complete. Wow. We could complete this evening or we could do it tomorrow morning in London. So um, the 3rd of Feb was actually a very special day for me. It was my father's birthday and he had died six months before. And I said, no, 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 we have to complete this evening. It's, it's, it's just so important to me that we do it because it's my inheritance I was using to buy my stake in the business. Oh, my goodness. And um, so we signed the deal. Um, that the very next... We actually, so you, were, you owned the business by the, the day of your dad's birthday? Or would it have been indeed. Birthday? It would have oh, been an birthday. amazing story. So um, I think that we'll, we'll come back to it later. That, that describes what it, it, some of the passion I have for this business oh. is linked to that. He lives on through it. Absolutely. And obviously he never know, never knew. Yeah. Um, I know anything about perfume. Um, yeah. It's, it's strange, but true. It's, uh, so if it's we just kind of me. jump to the present day, so that, um, that was 2010. It was 2010, 3rd of Feb, 2010. So today we've owned the business just over nine years. Yeah. The brand is 10 and a half years old. Yeah. Um, We've had a number of battles along the way, but where we are today is we're the fifth best-selling brand in Harrods, in the wow. Black Hall, um, which is, uh, gives me enormous pride. In the last three months, we've opened our own boutique on the sixth floor, Salon de Parfum in Harrods, um, which is extraordinarily luxurious. Uh, and we're hoping for high things there this year. Um, we are the fourth best-selling brand in Selfridges, London. Uh, we've, in the last couple of years, opened in Selfridges in Exchange Square, Trafford Park, and very in the last couple of weeks in, in Birmingham. Um, we are in places like Zoom and Goom in Moscow. We're in Le Premton in Paris. Uh, 
We're, uh, we, we're in Neiman Marcus in America, in Beverly Hills, in um, Houston, and in Washington, D.C. We're, our strongest territory is actually across the Gulf. So we have a, a, a very high presence in the UAE. Uh, Kuwait is actually my strongest country outside the UK. Right. Although I think this year we'll, we'll, Qatar and Saudi, Saudi Arabia will overtake it. Fantastic. So headline figures in terms of turnover, number of employees uh, now? So in the last year, we've gone from nine employees to 26. Wow. And we could, in the next, by the end of this year, I think we could get up to 40 or 50. Um, we've taken over our own distribution worldwide. Um, headline figures, uh, we're only small, but we're intensely profitable. So this year, our turnover is likely, likely to be around about 5 million or 20 million at retail, yeah. 25 million at retail, maybe worldwide. Um, and we'll probably make between one and one and a half million profit this year. Fantastic. And I think we can, uh, based on the other things we're growing the group into other other uh, other sectors and other brands, I think we can get up to four or five million profit in the next two or three years. Fantastic. Now, so we, we rewind back to 3rd of February, 2010. You, you arrive to bother with a premises. There was... Uh, there was nothing really. There was a counter in Harrods, a counter in Selfridges, a third-party warehouse uh, in Kent, and that was it. So you wake up that morning, and you must have a, a sort of mixed emotions, immense kind of pride because the relationship, the, the, the link with your, your father, his birthday, the celebration of that. But was it that, um, oh, my goodness, what on earth have I done? Oh, absolutely, because uh, as it is a purchase out of admin and I have worked in that field, I knew I did have an exceptionally good deal in the sense that we didn't pay the full price for the, we were paying for the business on day one. Right. Um, I'd actually uh, negotiated a, a, uh, an initial payment and the balance over two years. And the balance actually became over two and a half years in the end. Um, but on day one, uh, the amount of money we had to pay to the administration to buy the business was exactly the amount of money we had in the bank account. Wow. So we couldn't pay even a train, train fare, we couldn't pay expenses, salaries, nothing. So on day one, we owned this brand. We had some. We had a lot of stock. We hadn't got a clue what we were doing, um, and we had no cash. Amazing. Um, but over the next, but what you did have was a lot of years of experience of turning oh, businesses around. Yes. I, I still had grey hair even yeah. then, so I had yeah. th- twenty-five, thirty years of business experience. Um, I was an accountant, so raising money wasn't exceptionally difficult. And over the next six months, we raised, I think, uh, from memory, another 350000 or so, um, which ended up not being enough. And in the first year, I personally had to lend it another, I think at one stage, I was 130000 extra lent to the business, unbeknown to the other directors. But that was a sign of my confidence in yeah. what I thought we could achieve. Uh, my recklessness, perhaps. Um, the passion I had to make something, I'd finally got my hands on a business that I could make decisions on. So where'd you, where'd you, where'd you go first? What's the first thing you do when you walk in the door or that first month? Okay. What's your priority in that so first month? If you think we've just bought a business that's gone bust and the suppliers between them have lost about £800,000, um, which we weren't responsible for, but yeah. we, we then owned the brand. So the first thing I did is, is I spent... 10 days or so going and visiting every supplier and basically saying, hey guys, it wasn't my fault, but the only way you're going to get your money back is to work with me right. um, for your future profits. So on every, every supplier, I did a deal with them. So 
continue to work with me, take my orders, do the processing, but send me the bill and I'll pay you before you ship. Right. For three months. And then I want some credit when I've proven I can do it. So you must have had to prime the pump in terms of cash flow then to be able to do Oh, that. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but that was our commitment to showing people we knew what we were doing. Yeah. Um, the, the guy that um, was doing the filling then, he, he, was, he charged the old company two pounds a bottle to fill. And he said, David, that's absolutely fine. I'll do that. But I want to charge you £2.50 a bottle. All right. John, perfect. Absolutely. Love to do that. So off, after three months of paying up front, he gave me seven days credit. After three months of seven days credit, we got up to 30 days credit. And nine years later, I'm still paying £2.50 a bottle for filling. Wow. Because he likes me and trusts me that much. He got his money back. Wow. From those 50Ps. So he totally trusts me. Yeah. Because for the last nine years, I've paid the bill oh, within 48 hours of it being due. Fantastic. And that's what we try to do with all our, all our suppliers. Yeah. So whilst I was using my left hand to raise more money, my right hand was traveling, uh, traveling um, the UK, meeting all the people that are working for us. Right. Some of them still work for us. Some of them being replaced by better people. Right. But at the time, I knew nothing, so I had to go with the chain that was there. And was there a brand relaunch? No, we, we didn't do any brand relaunch. Um, we kind of held it together. Um, the first thing we did was actually sign up with an international distributor, um, A, to sell him some stock, because we had a lot of stock in the warehouse, to turn it back into cash, mm. um, and B, what we thought was going to do, drive international sales. Right. It actually turned out to be the worst deal we've ever ever done and it took nine years to get out of it okay um but it generated cash flow in, in the in the short term and if if i'm honest if i knew then if i still knew what i knew then i would still have signed that deal okay there's only in retrospect we would never have given anyone the whole world we would have given so a like region. one of those early learning experiences yeah. so where we are now in in the gulf which is my number one market uh, every country is run independently. So if I happen to upset someone, only screw up a country and not a region. Yeah, right. Okay. That's deliberate, very deliberate. So you, uh, presumably there was conversations also with the buyers of Harrods and Selfridges at this stage? Yeah. Um, I can remember my first meeting with the Harrods buying team. I met the uh, uh, beauty buyer, the beauty director. Fortunately, I had a consultant with me who actually knew the market. Um, and it was all very serene. At desktop, it was all very serene. I had no idea what they're talking about, um, but we seemed to get through the meeting. What no one could see was how, how my legs were shaking underneath the table. Uh, but we move on nine and a half years. Uh, the whole of the beauty team, the Harrods, most of the senior management know me. I'm happy I can hold my own. I can talk whatever I want to with authority and get away with it. But, you know, that's what courage balls to, you, to be able to go into a meeting what about you were you concerned about your own personal credibility you the, heading up a new you know acquisition a new brand well not new to them but new to you yes but what what i didn't know at the time is where it sat in the market right um i knew it was okay um we were i think when we purchased the business it was doing something like four or five hundred thousand pounds a year at retail in harrods which it didn't seem an awful lot um my, my credibility was actually only on my own shoulders. Um, and I found that just be, be, by being honest with people and delivering what you said you were going to do, just 
got people to, to trust you. And once they trusted you, the sky's the limit. Yeah, fantastic. So when, when was your first sort of uh, step into actual international sales? Um, well, obviously we signed this international distributor yep. um, uh, in the early days, which was less than ideal, as it turns out. Um, so effectively, we gave him the whole, con- whole world, apart from the UK, Russia, Switzerland, and the UAE. Um, I'll be naive. I didn't know what the UAE was then. Right. I didn't realize it was a small country, okay. <laughs> including Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I thought it was the Gulf. Yeah. It shows you how naive you can be. Sure. Um, so essentially, I'd given the world, the world away to uh, our Italian distributor. Um, we negoti- After a couple of years, we negotiated some of the Gulf or the, the Gulf, the GCC back. I now knew what it was. I've been there. Um, and I ended up with, I think, 10 countries that I could work in, um, and Harrods and Selfridges. Uh, and we, essentially, over nine years, made those 10 countries very, very strong. So, so uh, one of the stories that we've discussed before is uh, you landing in the first of those countries. Was that, was that Dubai, was it? it was, yeah, um, I think in about the, after about, a year or so, um, I actually got put in through through LinkedIn or Facebook, put in touch with a, an old colleague of mine. Right. And we met in London for three hours. And um, he spent an hour and a half telling me what he was doing. He was uh, working out of Dubai, doing publishing in Dubai, met some interesting people. When I told him what I had, he said, David, this is exactly what we need. Where can we say it? So we trotted around to Silfjus and you've got, you've got to come to Dubai. So I flew into Dubai on the cheapest. So he happened to have an interest in perfume. No, he had no interest in perfume, but he understood the golf. He oh, okay. had an interest right. in perfume, and right. he was connected to some very senior people. Excellent, and still is, um, and we're still good friends today. Um, so he said, "You must come here and see the market." So I, I booked the cheapest air ticket I could find and the cheapest hotel I could find because that's all we could afford. Um, and I flew into Dubai, and on the first evening, I met him for a, a drink and on the Sheikh Zayed Road somewhere, and, and kind of. A rooftop bar. And he said, well, now you're here, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? So we hatched a plan and over the next three days managed to, to um, meet or do 18 business meetings. So let me get this right then. So you, you sort of feet on the ground in a brand new country, for new culture that no experience of with a product that you're you're a year in, so you're probably finding your feet. You have one meeting lined up, and three days later... Well, it wasn't actually a meeting. It was actually a drinks with a friend. Yeah, you had drinks <laughs> with a friend lined up, and then three or so days later... Or three well, days he later, helped me. So he said, David, meetings. you need to make the Dubai Mall. Right. So it, I think it was 10 o'clock next morning, morning, we had a meeting with the Dubai Mall, right. which was alien to me because it was a Sunday. I didn't realise the golf... But their weekend was Friday, Saturday, okay. and Sunday was the first day of their working week. Yeah. So we had a meeting with the Dubai, Dubai Mall management team at 10 o'clock, and she loved so much what we were saying. She said, can you come back at 6 o'clock tonight, and can we have another meeting? And believe it or not, we went back that night and had another meeting. I think on the, on the Monday, uh, I, went down, I wanted to meet Harvey Nichols. So it was in the matter of the Emirates. I was waiting outside for the store to open. When it opened, I rushed into the perfume department, smelt a few perfumes. Someone came over to help me and said, how can I help you? I said, you can help me by giving me the telephone number of the buyer, which they did. Back to my hotel, phoned the buyer, had a meeting at one o'clock. Um, we wanted, uh, my friend Leonard said, why don't we uh, meet Dubai GT3? We had a meeting with Dubai GT3. <laughs> it, it was just one of the... 
in the golf, there's a can-do attitude. Right. So in London, if you want to meet someone, they'll, they'll push it back two or three or four months, okay. if possible. In the golf, if they want to see you, they want to see you there. And they'll move the diary. They'll move everything yeah. to, to get to see you then. But it's, it's having, I don't know, the gumption, the cheek, the bros neck to actually ask for that meeting. Fantastic. And obviously, I was saying we're one of the top brands in Harrods, and that just opened, opened the doors. Now, we had a conversation last night over dinner about look and look in business and about you say that uh, kind of make your own look, but also um, you've got to have your eyes open to the opportunities that, that come your way. And we so talk to me about your view about how lucky you've been on your nine-year <laughs> journey so far and, and also how you've helped to create that look. Um, I, I sincerely believe luck is part of every business. You can have, be, have good luck or bad luck. But I think the luck is what you make it. You, I think everyone has the ability to have luck, but you can influence it by becoming more lucky, by meeting more people, by being in more places. Um, but you also have to recognise when that luck comes and stares you in the face. And I think I mentioned to you last night, there's a Darren Brown uh, programme that's broadcast, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago on BBC um, about luck. Um, and it's... It follows a uh, northern British town uh, where he created the myth of um, a statue in a park. If he stroked as a dog, if he stroked its nose, it, he became lucky. Some people believed it, some people didn't. Didn't, but there was one guy in there um, that just refused to see luck. So Darren was organising to drop fifty-pound notes in the pavement in front of him. He didn't see them. He even put a big billboard on the side of a truck going past and saying, Wayne, phone this number. And he just didn't see it. Um, so I, I think everyone can be lucky, but yeah. you have to also recognise when that You've got to have is, your eyes open to it. Or you have to accept it. And you also have to put yourself in a position where you are going to be lucky. I do it by travelling the world a lot, being everywhere. Right. Most people think, seem to think I spend more time flying than my feet on the ground. Well, yeah. I let them believe that. It's not, definitely not true. Um, it's not far from being true, but it's not true. Um, and even things as simple as helping out a friend who, who seven years ago wanted me to help boost his tennis tournament for the, one of my local clubs. Uh, and I support him because he was a good, good friend and didn't seem a lot. I didn't even get my ball permission for doing it. We sponsored them to the tune of £1,000. Okay. That £1,000 introduced me to the president of the club, who then turned out to be um, an ex-diplomatic uh, squad policeman in London, who had the most amazing contacts around the world, retired now. Um, and through that, I've met a princess in uh, Kuala Lumpur, by complete chance. Um, but more importantly for me, in one of my key regions in Saudi Arabia, I've ended up with a um, member of the Saudi royal family as my business partner and have been twice inside the royal palace in Riyadh. Wow. Which, um, uh, the only other people I know that have been there have laid carpets and things. Goodness so, me. Um, and uh, certainly before the, the, the latest um, inhabitant as kind of the crown prince, uh, this guy's father was the most influential Arab in the world. Wow. So it's nice to know these people. So from the point of your friend saying, can you sponsor this tennis event? Can you support us? You had no idea where that was going to lead. I had no idea. I did it as a favour for a friend, but what it was was luck. Yeah. I. And I'm now a big sponsor. For, I'm now the main sponsor for their tennis tournament because I, be, I believe in re repaying that luck. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 
Yeah. It's extraordinary. So do you go into things like that and say, I'm going to find a contact, I'm going to find... You, you- no, no. If I do something, I then I get involved. So having sponsored their tournament, I turned up a few days during the tournament. I now present the prizes. Um, Great. So you, so, you were so there to I'm network there, to... So I, think I go there to network. I and the, the president has become a friend of mine. Uh, the commercial guy there has become... A, well, already was a friend of mine. So... Um, because they're friends, because I've involved, I go along. I don't just give them the money and say, get on with it. I then get involved. And by getting involved, everyone comes up and thanks you. Everyone knows who you are. And maybe out of every hundred people, one or two can be useful to you or want to be useful to you. Great. Now, you, you're very adept at walking up to people, at, at whether it be charity balls, yep. whether it be uh, tournaments like that or, or uh, business sort of settings, networking settings, and, and striking up a conversation. And those conversations either are with influential people to you, to your business, or connect you to those people. How do you engage in those conversations? Because that puts, you know, um, sort of stands hairs on the back of most people's necks, the prospect of going up and talking to a stranger. Uh, yeah, um, apparently I've become a very, very um, clever networker. Right. Um, I always go to the right events. I, I meet the right people. With my brand behind me now, um, I'm lucky. Perfume is a desirable product around the world. Everyone likes it. Everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone thinks they're an expert on it. Um, and just listening to people uh, get a lot wrong is, is quite interesting sometimes. Um, but I have absolutely no fear talking to anyone I meet along the way because I have a powerful story, a, a story that even just hearing the story people like to hear um, it's so powerful. And if you get to know people in a social setting, they always want to help you. There's a can-do attitude. Mm. But I think the trick is never ask for help. Don't appear to be wanting something. Don't appear to be desperate. People, I believe people can smell desperation. For sure. So if you're meeting people at a drinks party or a social event or whatever, just appear to be calm, serene, Know your story, know your facts, have something interesting to say, and you'll be completely surprised at how much people want to help you in return. So have you already identified who you would like to speak to at that event and done a little bit, a little bit of homework about them? Uh, generally, no. Okay. Um, but what I do know is I know my industry really, really well. I know where we stand within it. I know, I know what my competitors are doing. I know local markets. I know what sells. Um, I know what tastes are. And it's actually quite easy to engage with people. Um, I very, very seldom go to an event with uh, someone I want to target when I get there. Um, Weirdly, it seems to be the other way around now. People seem to know that I'm there and want to come and tell me what they can do to help me. So as you know, in the Middle East, um, Mr. David, you're uh, in the Gulf, you're you're, you're getting a bit of a celebrity status. Well, yeah. um, My business partner says I'm now Sheikh Dawood, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is quite funny. But certainly in my sector, I was in Qatar only 10 days or so ago at a perfume exhibition. Um, I think there were 50 50 stands there, two Western ones, um, Bodicea and um, an Italian brand called Zerjoff. Sergio, who owns Sergioff, was there, and we had a couple of conversations. Um, but the other 48 stands were Arabic perfume brands. Now, they all knew who I was. Wow. I had no idea who most of them were. Wow. But nearly every single brand wanted to pull me onto their stand, sit me down, give me some coffee, show me their best fragrances. 
um, and then video me smelling them and saying how wonderful they were. And then within a few hours, my vid the video of me saying how wonderful their fragrances were was broadcast on Instagram or Snapchat. Saying, mm -hmm. Mr. David, owner of Bodice the Victorious, says our perfumes are good. Wow. That goes to show uh, the journey you've gone and the things you've achieved over, over the last nine years. Now, there's been, there's been setbacks. You know, I'm, I'm really big on the importance of resilience at the moment and personal resilience. Um, you, you mentioned the first deal you did was probably the worst deal you'd done, and that's been you know, a challenging journey. And without going into too much details around that, you know, how have you personally dealt with the setbacks and sort of picked yourself back up and kept going and what's been the driver or what, what have you used to keep yourself back on track? Okay, on track? so um, I'm very naturally combative. Right. I will take people on. Yeah. Um, I generally know what's right and what's wrong. I generally know what I can win and what I'll lose and I will not take people on if I'm going to lose. I will only take people on if I'm going to win. Mm. They may not realise I'm going to win. Um, but every time I come across an obstacle... I work out what I want to achieve at the end of it, i.e. after we got over it or well, uh, overcome it. Uh, and then I work out how we're going to achieve it. And that might mean a sleepless night or two um, because I will actually role play the conversation, the meeting, uh, the fight, whatever it is. I will role play it in my mind time after time after time at night. And it's almost like a... a tree diagram I'll go down a route and then I'll go I'll backtrack and go down a oh, different route right. so by the time I get to have the confrontation I know what the outcome is going to be because I've played it a thousand you times played the chess game all the yeah. different permutations so yeah. many times over in your head yeah. yeah now it might mean I lose a couple of nights sleep but I've worked out how to get what I want to achieve wow a brilliant strategy uh, whether it, it's, it appears to be a winning strategy because uh, as you rightly say we've had a number of um, obstacles and setbacks along the way um, some of which I won't say, um, but I've overcome all of them. And you made a comment last night over dinner when I we was saying about um, you know, some of the challenges, and you were saying, well, that's what makes it fun. That's all part of it being in business. That's part of the challenge. I always say, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Of course. Because it's difficult, it means we can stand out from the crowds. Yeah. Um, and you thrive off that challenge. Oh, absolutely. If there's no challenge, I, I have to learn something every day. Yeah. If, if I'm learning nothing, I'd rather sit at home and do nothing. I'll watch the cycling all afternoon or something on TV. Yeah. Um, there's some cycling going on at the moment. Um, the tour is coming up. Um, if I don't learn something new, I've had a boring day. Yeah. Um, so every day I want to learn something new. I don't care what it is, uh, whether it be a new customer, a new product, uh, meet someone new. Um, even yesterday, I, I met someone new in the morning, offered them a job. I, I had lunch with uh, our, one of our perfume suppliers they then they did an event in London yesterday afternoon uh, which was a little bit of a fun thing um, trying to get you to guess where it was, it was, they're taking loads of their clients through this week but we were the first people to go through it um, trying to get you to smell two fragrances and work out which one's the synthetic and which one's the natural one Okay. Um, and then different themes and some kind of blocking out sound and vision and smelling different things. And it ended up knowing a lot more about perfume, a lot more about the difference between synthetic and natural yeah. and actually how close it is. And we've always believed that natural is better than synthetic and it's not necessarily true. Okay. And it ended up with us creating our own candle, wow. which is a bit of fun. And then obviously getting on a train to come and see you. Fantastic. 
So over the sort of three or four years I've known you, David, every time I see you, you you're buzzing off the enjoyment of the journey. You're- I absolutely love my journey. Um, yeah. I can't believe every day I get up with a smile on my face because even though there may be some difficult things to overcome, most of it's going to be fun. Most of it's going to be joyful. Um, I have an absolutely stunning team around me. Every single person in this business wants to work for me. Yeah. A lot of them have worked for me for seven or eight years. Um, I know... I, I had to apologise to a member of staff who's been with me a year yesterday because I've only had a one-to-one with her once in that year. Right. And that was a week or so ago. Yeah. And I didn't realise what else she can offer for me. Um, wow. I didn't realise... That's a lesson in its own right. Yeah, so she... Uh, so I prided myself up to a year or so ago that I knew everyone, everyone in my business what they actually wanted to do as a career, where they wanted to be. And even people who have left years ago, I still help them with their tax return. I... I there's, a, there's one girl that uh, aspired to be an act, actress and she worked for us for about five years and then left because she got a, a, a role somewhere in the West Country and then the play came to London. And I, I didn't tell her, but I actually booked a ticket and went and watched her in the play. Fantastic. But didn't t- I didn't tell her till the next week, oh, by the way, I was there on Saturday night. You did a really good job. Fantastic. And I, I have an interest in my people and building them and taking them as far as they, they want to go or think they can go. Yeah. And I, I was gobsmacked that... This lady who's worked for me for, and she's absolutely stunningly beautiful. She's worked for me in Selfridges for a year now. It's now my manager there. I didn't know she'd done a degree in marketing. Goodness me, what a resource. I know. <laughs> How wow. can you miss that? Yeah. So I think the lesson there is you have to understand your staff. If you work with them hard, they'll work hard back in return. And they'll give you so much more than you ever pay them for. For sure. For sure. Three top lessons then on your journey. Uh, I think the top lessons are uh, you must have a thirst for knowledge. Um, I've, I've found that uh, although I knew nothing about perfumes, I now understand the golf market so well I can pick out a perfume that would sell in Kuwait but not Dubai, one that would sell in Dubai but not Qatar because wow. their tastes are so different. Right. And uh, you have to understand that the worldwide perfume market is worth $48 billion dollars. And 25% of that is in the GCC, the seven countries of the Gulf. So that shows you how important it is. So um, I think the second, the second learning is you must always know your numbers. Yep. Um, I've had people around me who, although they had access to every single piece of information I had, because I always share, um, they didn't know the price of anything. They couldn't negotiate a deal with a potential customer. They could go and find a customer and then say, oh, we need to talk to David to get prices. Even though they had the same stuff, they didn't know how to construct a deal because they didn't know the numbers. In my head, I have, within a few pennies, I know the price of everything. So I can sit with you and any customer and do a deal here and now, and I know within a few percentage points how much profit we're making on the deal. Great. So I think numbers are important. I think the most important thing is you have to have passion. Mm. Yep. If you don't have passion... How's anyone going to buy off you? Passion sells. Absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing that's come back from every single person I've ever met is, David, how are you so passionate about this business? Well, it goes back to the fact I bought it on my father's birthday. I love that. Yeah, I love that. With your inheritance. With, with my inheritance and every penny of my inheritance went into it. Yeah. So it couldn't fail. No. Good news is. What a wonderful legacy. Um, yeah, as I, I know... I know there's, there's only three luxury brands left in the world that are independent, and we're one of, one of those three. Wow. Um, I'm not saying we're first, second, or third. I, I don't know how to judge it. 
I don't think we're third. One of the big boys will come after us soon for a lot of money. And I just feel there's still a long way to go yet. You're not ready to sell yet. Not ready to sell. I'm having far too much fun. David, thank you so much for your time. If Gary, people want to find out about uh, Bodicea and yourself, where do they go to? Uh, they should go to our website, uh, bodiceathevictorious.com, drips off the tongue. Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, WhatsApp. Um, if you just if you go to uh, bodiceathevictorious.com, there's a contact us page. If you just send an email to info or whatever, it gets picked up in my office at home by my wife who works for me. And occasionally she'll pass it across to me. I'm very grateful for David's time. He's come to Manchester because the, we're about to start the Evolve Mastermind, uh, a business mastermind event. So I've had the great privilege of David's company uh, yesterday evening and then all, all, all this morning as well. So David, once again, thank you so much. Kevin, it's a pleasure, my friend. This episode of the Business Mastermind is brought to you by the Evolve Mastermind. The Evolve Mastermind is a business mastermind for business owners of businesses turning over between 500,000 and 5 million per annum. Their monthly events provide you with solutions, strategies, inspiration and insights to help you scale and grow your business. Each month there's a hand-picked speaker to provide you with relevant strategies plus time to mastermind with other business owners on issues that are facing you and your business. With groups in Chelmsford in Essex and Manchester in the North West and more locations planned, go to www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. That's www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success, and create more impact.